I hate that transition. <laughs> it's one of those, right? I sit here every Sunday. I feel like, I always feel like I should clap. Like, yay, Kyle. Like, good job. All right. <clears throat> anyway, Happy New Year. I'm Rob Green, as Kyle said. Um, if you look at the graphic, apparently I'm elder number three. Uh, <clears throat> and this morning, uh, I have, uh, well, depending on you look at it, the, the privilege or the terrifying task of preaching the first sermon of the year and of the decade and of the new sermon series. <laughs> So uh, this morning, we are going to start our new sermon series uh, on our mission to know Jesus and to make him known. So starting with today and then over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear sermons on knowing Jesus, on growing in Jesus, and showing Jesus. That won't be the titles. I made those up and it sounds good in my head. Um, But that's where we'll be going. So before today, digging into the question, what does it mean to know Jesus? Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you for this time, uh, this family here. Uh, Most of all, I thank you that you are you. I ask that you give me clarity of understanding and speech, that your word and your truth is spoken forward. I ask that you soften hearts and open ears and grant everybody that hears clear understanding. Uh, Be with us all. Guide us this morning. In your name, amen. So we're wrapping up the holiday season here. We went through Christmas and the New Year's. For many of you that don't already have one, you may have received this thing called a smart doorbell. So I'm sure most of you have seen these, right? The Ring or the Zomoto, you see these videos of all these kind of things. And, you know, if you don't know what these are, they sit outside your front door. And if something moves or if there's a noise, you get this beep on your phone and you can look it up. And some people get a picture, some get a video, Um, you know, you can watch everything. You can talk directly back to whoever's there at your doorbell. So I want you to Imagine just for a moment that you have one of these, even if you don't, that you have one of these. And I want you to imagine the kind of people that you would see coming up to your door, right? So I experienced this for the first time uh, over the holidays or around Thanksgiving. Um, I know some folks that have these, and one of the best parts is you can sort of, after the event, you can go through and look and be like, oh, that's who showed up and when they showed up. Oh, and that's who's left and that's when they left. Oh, and that's who escaped the family for 20 minutes. I saw that, right? Where, I wondered where they were. They were on the porch. Um, you know, so you get all these neat things. But for us, you know, I'd like to consider who would come up. So I think we have a graphic for this, the, the people that I would categorize folks into that would show up at your door. Right? So we'll start at the top left up there, um, right? Our little local thug. Right? The first person that comes is the package stealer. The person who is like, "Eh, I'm going to take something, I'm stealing something. Uh, I'd also generally put people selling things into this category. Um, You don't want them there. You want to scare them away. It's basically the whole point of this invention is that when you're not home, you see these people and you can talk them out of taking stuff. So that's number one. Number two, our foam-fingered friend up there, uh, is our fan. So I don't know about you, I cannot imagine anyone showing up at my door with that much exuberance. Nobody is that big a fan of me. Um, If you want to do that, I'd welcome that. (laughs) That'd be a great day. Um, I can only maybe, on a good day, imagine my mom doing this, right? Because my mom is my biggest fan. But uh, if you can't relate, so think about it. Let's flip the situation a little bit and pick somebody that you admire, that you really like. I don't know who this is. If you're my son right now, this is Baker Mayfield or Nick Chubbs. Maybe it's Taylor Swift. Um, Kyle is over there dreaming of Tim Keller right now. Okay? And just imagine this is their house, and you walk up to their door, right? what you would feel like and what you would look like. Because right? I can imagine my son walking up to Nick Chubb's door. He's been doing this for the last three months. Be like, Gavin, we're going to Nick Chubb's house immediately. 
right? He'd be dabbing all around me, jumping back and forth, right? So, you know, just to give this in perspective. Down on the bottom left there, we have our friend, right? Plain Jane, every day, our friend, okay? This is great. They show up. Uh, friends don't really drop in anymore. I think that should be a thing again, by the way, right? Friends interrupt your lives in the most perfect way. Uh, but that's the friend, right? They come and they go. They ring the doorbell. You're like, hey, my buddy's here. Like, this is great. Uh, and on the, the last one down there, you'll see it's not just one person. That's our family, okay? Family comes. Um, they're normally happy to see you. They may come with or without luggage. They may be making a five-minute or a five-week stay. You're never quite sure. Uh, some of them, you will get this notification, you will pull out your phone, and by the time you're looking at the video, they will be through the door in your house talking to you because they're just like, hey, we're family. We don't need locks. Okay? They just run in, and you know, who knows how that makes you feel. But what I want you to do is take this picture, sort of store it away for just a moment um, as we dive into our scripture for the day. So our scripture for the day is going to come from Matthew 7 that this is all based on. To put this in a little context, this comes from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5, and it opens up with the Beatitudes, right? This beautiful, you know, the meek will inherit the earth, and the humble and the lowly. About two paragraphs later, Jesus goes from this sort of gentle introduction to raising the bar. He says, if your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hey, that's not an easy task. Well, why? The Pharisees, it was their job, right? It wasn't just their faith or their practice. It was their vocation. This is what they spent their time doing. Every piece of the law, we follow it. And then he goes on to give us some great advice for everyday life. But this is not easy advice. This is, you've heard, don't murder. Well, if you've been angry, you've already murdered. Bar raised. You've heard, don't commit adultery. But if you've lusted, you already have. Bar raised. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. No. Turn the other cheek. Bar raised. And at the end of this, in Matthew chapter 7, we build up to this sort of ending point where it's all starting to come together. And this is what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a really difficult teaching of Jesus. I've been a Christian, a follower of Christ now for 32 years. Reading this passage still stops me in my tracks on a regular basis. To give you some more context, the extension of this is in Matthew 13. It's the parable of the sower, if you're familiar with that. This is really, really hard. I mean, think about this. Fundamentally, what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you're here, and we will all stand, you'll all stand before me someday. But some of you who think you know me, I don't know you. You're not going to make it. And that's hard, and that's sobering, and it's difficult. But it also paints the picture that we're looking for. So to tie this together with the illustration is uh, this. On the road of life, we are all heading towards Jesus' door. The question is, will he know you when you ring the bell? So my goal today is to develop a, a framework to help, fig help you figure out both what it means to know Jesus 
and maybe where you are on that spectrum of knowing Jesus, what that means and what it looks like. So I'm going to give you a, a small framework. So do bear with me because talk to me afterwards. I have some great resources. Classically, this is known as the doctrine of assurance in the church, right? Big fancy doctrine. There are volumes of volumes written about this. <laughs> so it's hard. It's meaty and it's deep. Um, but we want to make it uh, into something that you guys can all relate to well. So we're going to look at it this way. When you knock on Jesus' door, when you ring Jesus' doorbell, who does he see? Foe, fan, friend, or family? So foe, obviously, right? Top left, right? Our little thug coming to the door in our opening picture, right? Foes of Jesus are generally, you think, obvious, right? So they stand against Jesus. They stand against that truth. Maybe they're militant about it. Maybe they're loud about it. Maybe they're confrontational about it. Uh, maybe they're even in silent opposition, right? There may be many foes of Jesus here today. That's great. You're in the perfect place. We want to have that conversation here with you today. Many of you know tons of foes of Jesus in your life and how they work and what they do. Some of them don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about Jesus at all. Some of them actively oppose your faith and what you believe and question you about it. But this is the first place in knowing Jesus, and that's choosing to not know him. For some reason, you choose, I don't want Jesus, I don't know Jesus, I don't believe in Jesus, right? I've come to the conclusion that this is not true. This is the thug, the thief, the solicitor, the quiet opposition. And the hardest thing about folks in this category, honestly, for me, is this. I know lots of people that are foes of Jesus. Most of them are the kindest, most loving, respectful, helpful, thoughtful people that I know. And that is hard for me. That's really hard. Because I know that they oppose the fundamental beliefs of my life and also truth. And that is hard. So maybe you are a foe. Maybe you choose to be a foe. If you're not a foe, maybe you choose to be a fan. Okay? So we'll go back here a second. I asked you guys all to imagine somebody you really admire, your favorite Ford star, uh, sports star, uh, anyone like this, that you're just a big fan of. So I mentioned my son. Right now, my son is on a football kick. I've been trying to get him into football for years. All of a sudden, two months ago, um, I can't get him to stop watching football. Last night at 9 o'clock during the playoff game, I said, Gavin, it's time for bed. Um, and he very assertively told us, I'm watching the end of the game. That's the end of it. <laughs> okay. So he loves football. Uh, and much to my own chagrin, right? So I am uh, I, Pittsburgh, born and bred, right? Bleeds black and gold. My son's two favorite players in all of the NFL are Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb, right? The quarterback and running back for the Cleveland Browns. No cheering. That's not fair. Right? So he loves them. So I imagine this, right? So imagine my son. My son is high energy, like, he loves these guys. He's looking up every stat. He has football cards. Uh, he doesn't want screen time now. He wants YouTube time to watch Baker Mayfield highlights. We went to the library, and he picked up a DVD on how to be an excellent quarterback, right? So he is just a fan. He's looking up stats and what it looks like, all these kind of things. So when I picture this, I just imagine my son with me walking up to, like, Baker Mayfield's door, right? Not the Cleveland Brown Stadium, his actual door. And we walk up and we ring the doorbell. And this is what I imagine. This exuberant kid, so excited, he'll have a little smile on his face. And, right, hey, Baker Mayfield's going to open this door. And he's going to be like, 
Well, he's not going to open the door. He's going to pull up his ring and be like, who are you? Right? And we're going to be like, we're fans. It's okay. And he's obviously going to open the door, right? Probably not. <laughs> but if he does, the sequence of events will look like this. He'll open it and he'll say, well, hi, blah, 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 nice to meet you. Be like, Gavin, don't you want to like shake his hand or that? He's going to shrink back behind me slowly. <laughs> be like, it was nice to meet you. Well, why? He's a fan, right? So my son, he knows tons of stuff about Baker Mayfield. How he throws, where he went to college, his stats, his weight, his, you know, all these kinds of things. But he doesn't know Baker Mayfield. Right? Baker Mayfield doesn't know him. He's going to go there like, I don't know you. You don't know me. Who are you? you know, do you know my family, my friend? Do you know what I actually do during the day outside of football? Like, have you seen me anywhere but a football field? Have you had a meal with me? You know, any of this stuff. We just, we know nothing about Baker Mayfield, and he knows nothing about us. And this is the thing about being a fan, right? Because the other thing my son does, which is awesome, he loves to cheer at football games. Right? We're watching him on TV. He's so excited, right? He's pumped up, doing all this stuff. He's cheering for, like, the Bills. He's like, yes, Bills. And then the score changes. He's like, go Texan, right? Whoever it is immediately he's like i'm cheering for the winner so fandom is fickle right not only is it not being known it's also very fickle right so and this translates into our christian life as well right? because fans of jesus people who are fans of jesus pick and choose the parts of jesus that benefit them and leave the rest behind at their convenience from a biblical standpoint this is the story of the rich young ruler Okay? We have this story in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. And this is set up, this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, kneels before him, and asks, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay? So you already know that this guy's a fan. Because he's like, oh yeah, you're just another teacher. One more of the rabbis, right? I'm a fan, good teacher. Jesus responds to him immediately, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So not only is Jesus actually correcting him, he's pointing out the fact that this guy is a fan. You don't actually know me. You don't know who I am or what I'm about or all these things. And Jesus tells him, you know, you know the commandments, do not murder, don't do these things. And he says, I've done all these things. And Jesus looks at him, he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. You see, he was a fan. He loved what Jesus had to offer because he was talking about the same teachings he had followed his whole life. They elevated his status and his respect. He's like, I'm in. I've done this. But he couldn't go any farther. He, wasn't, he didn't want to go in the door. Right? This is my son when Baker Mayfield says, Hey, yeah, you're a big fan. You know what? Come in, have a couple meals. We'll go play catch in the backyard. You can come back over tomorrow. Like, we'll get to know each other. And my son's like, eh, I'm good. Right? And takes off. Because he doesn't want the Baker Mayfield that lives every day. He wants the Baker Mayfield that throws touchdown passes. Just like the fans of Jesus want the sayings of Jesus. They want the Proverbs of Jesus. They want that specific thing that Jesus did that one time. They don't want all of Jesus. They pick what suits them, and they leave the other pieces behind, and their opinion changes. So you can choose to be a foe. You can choose to be a fan of Jesus. 
you can also choose to be a friend of Jesus. So I'm going to twist this just a little bit here, right, and not talk exactly about friends, but I am going to talk about being in the friend zone. So hopefully some of you know what the friend zone is. I've been talking, well, I don't talk about this anymore. I talked about it when I was dating, right? Really popular when I was dating. I think it's still popular. There's even a movie called Just Friends, right? So the friend zone is not a fun place to be. Some of you know what it is. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you are putting people in the friend zone right now. If you don't know what the friend zone is, it is this terrible, horrible place to be where you have this good friend that you sort of want to raise the bar, right? Like, I want a real relationship, a romantic interest. We want to raise this up. And you're like, okay, this is good. We're, we're going to keep pushing this way. But somehow, you get held at arm's length. You're just the friend. And that other individual, they go off and they do their thing. They chase other people, right? They chase other loves. And when it's good, you get the phone call. Hey, you wouldn't believe this. And really, you're like smiling. You're like, yeah, that's amazing, right? You're crying. It hurts inside, right? And then it goes terrible. And what do they do? Well, they don't call you. They just drop in at your house and they cry on your shoulder because you're the comforting friend. And the whole time you sit there with this sort of unrequited love for this individual and you suffer through that pain of always being at arm's length. Whenever I think about this, all I can think of is how often we do this to Jesus. Right? The, the biblical language that's used is that Jesus is always after his bride, the church. That's us. And how often does Jesus come for us? And we say, yeah, that's close enough. And then we go away. We ignore the scripture. We ignore prayer. We ignore whatever we're doing. And then something goes wrong and we're on our knees. Jesus, save us. Thanks for the touchdown. Right? How often do we keep Jesus at arm length, not submitting all of ourselves to who he is? Right? And this is what the Christian friend zone is, where we find ourselves with a belief that Jesus is who he says he is, and we actually want it, but we refuse to surrender to him completely. Because you see, if you look back at the scripture, confession isn't sufficient. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, that expresses this intimate, I know you. That doesn't get you across the threshold. Actions aren't enough. The scripture says, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, do many mighty works? It's not enough. Obedience alone doesn't get you across that finish line. It says, I never knew you. So folks who keep Jesus in the friend zone are really well characterized by uh, where Isaiah is quoted in Matthew 15. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So we have this friend zone where we keep Jesus in the friend zone. We keep him at arm length, not actually recognizing who he is completely or what he says about us completely, or surrendering our lives to him completely. So we can choose to be a foe, a friend, a fan, or a, a foe, fan, or friend. We can also choose to be family. All right, so when I think about family, I think of a couple different things. The first thing I think about is my biological family, right? So whether you like it or not, everybody has a biological family, okay? There are mothers and fathers, whether you met them or not, um, the hardest part, I think, about biological family uh, was two things. One, we didn't get to choose. We were just stuck. Okay? Two, 
No matter who that biological family is, we carry that with us the rest of our lives. Right? I mean, if you've ever had kids, you know this. If you just look around the room, you know this. Your biological parents give you DNA. That gives you traits and ticks and habits and tendencies and health problems and health benefits. It gives you all these kinds of things that you're just stuck with. You don't get to choose. Right? And sometimes that's really good. It's great. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Other times it's not so great. From a Christian standpoint, we have the same thing. We have our own biological family, right? We're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. The first couple, the first humans who decided, hey, we're out. We don't need God right now. We're going to disobey. We're going to go the other way. And we carry that in us, regardless of what we do. We have their DNA, their tendencies. We have their sin, right? And this is the biblical language. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? None are righteous, not even one. Does anyone do good? Regardless of what you want to think, the DNA that we carry as a human race right, is this of being thieves and murderers and liars and cheaters and adulterers and swindlers. Right? We do not stand in a good place before God, and this is our biological family. So after I think about biological family, I also think about the family you get to choose. I think one of the best examples here is actually this church. So my wife has been in this church for almost 40 years now. There's tons of people, uh, even sitting here today, who she does not call by their first name or by their last name. She calls them aunt and uncle. Because somewhere along the line, that transition was made from friend to family, someone who we trust and knows us and is known by us. We all have these people along the way, right? Friends that have become family, and we call them our family. Like, this is my family where I am. We have this other family that we choose, right? And and I think back again, when my wife and I got married, I'm pointing this way because that's where she's supposed to be sitting, but she's not here. (laughs) Right? We got to choose each other. We chose each other, and we chose each other's families. And this wasn't some contract we grew up or some contingency plan we made. We stood here in this church, right, and we made this covenant with each other, right? And I said, I'm with you. Sickness, health, better or worse, rich or poor, whatever comes till death do us part. My favorite part about that is literally in there, did I, nowhere, nowhere did I ever say, I'm in as long as if you do this. And she stood up here and did the same thing. That means the way we love each other, the way we're committed to each other, the way that we're committed to our children and our family together, it's actually not dependent, right? My love is not dependent on her. Her love is not dependent on me. I've made a covenant that I will be there and I will be committed, right? And she has done the same for me. And all kinds of benefits have come out of this. Right? So we're together, our, you know, we're a family, we've chosen our extended families, and really cool things. I've become more like her, right? She's, unfortunately for her, become more like me in many ways. We've rounded off each other's edges, we've challenged each other, we've sharpened each other, you know, we've struggled with extended family and how that works, and we've all come together, we've made each other better. Now we have kids, which is terrifying because they're like little mini-me's running around, right? And we see all the best and all the worst parts of both of us in them. 
Right? And, and we do this, and it's brought all this kind of good things. And it just makes me think that this is the kind of family that Christ wants. He wants a family by choice, a family by covenant. Because you see, he pursues his bride, the church, us. He wants to know us. He wants to be in this deep relationship that's reciprocal on both sides. And the coolest thing about that relationship is it's really all about him choosing you. Right? So if Jesus is who he says he is, that means that he is God, and God is holy and just and righteous. And our biological family has left us dirty in the ditch. Right? We can't meet his standards. So what does he say? He says, yeah, I'm just, and I'm righteous, and I'm holy, and you must be punished because you can't take it, because you can't meet my bar. But this is what he says. It's okay. Because I'll take it for you. That's the cross. He takes it for us. And when he takes it for us, not only does that, he says, I'll take the punishment myself. I will also rise from the grave so that you will rise with me. You see, he makes the covenant. He's making the promise. You can't do it. That's good. I'm perfect. I'll pay the price. I'll rise so that you can join me. That's our God. That's our Christ. It's a God of covenant that is perfect, who's taken on your punishment. And when you are judged, when we stand before Christ on that judgment day, his deeds will take the place of our own. When we're seen, he will be seen. He will take our place. Because you see, the fundamental transition from friend to family is a move from belief that Jesus is who he says he is to a belief in Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of a world that needs saving. It's recognizing not only that Jesus is the Son of God, but that he is your Savior and that you are a sinful being that needs to be saved. It's submitting the entirety of your heart and mind and soul and strength to him. It's receiving the Spirit so that you are known and know him more deeply. It's diving into Scripture, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, pursuing him and his Father. It's becoming more like him as you read and pray and you act out of the abundance of love and grace and mercy and relationship that you find in him. So then this is the challenge for us. When you ring Jesus' doorbell, who will he see? Is it who you want him to see? And if it isn't, how will you get there? Will you choose to be the foe, standing in constant opposition, or will you choose to be the fan who picks the parts of Jesus that you like and leaves the rest behind? Will you choose to keep Jesus in the friend zone, always at arm's length, often treating him like some cosmic Santa Claus, never truly believing who he is or what he says about you? Or will you choose to know Jesus, to join this family, to join Christ's bride, the church, to walk to the wedding altar, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? and walk forward in knowing and being known by him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you chose to reach out to us in love, that you took our punishment to restore the relationship that was lost. I pray for all those here. I pray for all the foes and all the fans and all the friends and all the family. I pray that the family is maintained and grown in knowing you. I pray that friends become family. 
And I pray that those who are foes and fans move closer and closer to you and come to the true and saving knowledge of your truth and your life. In your name, amen.